Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. What's happening, Archery Unfiltered? How you guys doing today? Uh, it is Saturday morning. I am driving up to West Coast Archery right now. Gonna hang out with Rudy. Hopefully get some practice in. Hopefully build someone a cool bow. Uh, Hopefully sell some cool shit. Uh, Yeah, you know, just uh, gonna enjoy my Saturday. So, I mentioned on the last podcast uh, that I was seeing all these patterns. Maybe I've mentioned it before, but I'll, I'll, I'll talk about it right now and let you guys know what, what the, the big things are that I've seen in the last, like, five, five interviews, six interviews, right? So on the last podcast, I talked with Austin Watts, the prodigy, born 20 ABE, 20 years after our Lord and Savior, Bob Eiler, and, uh... 20 years, nice round number. It's almost like it, it really is like a prodigy, like a, some kind of like legend. The prophecy foretold about this in 20 ABE. So, I'm my personal thing. When people ask me, what do I need to do to get ready for shooting a 900 or any kind of shooting, indoor, anything like that, the thing that I personally think. Or that I maybe the stage that I'm at is like get your weights figured out to get because you want to get the bow to hold nice, right? I guess that's close to what Mark Rubio had told Austin is get the bow to hold nice. But to me, that's entirely weights, you know, like stabilizer weights. It could also be timing, you know, where you like your timing uh, because you know top cam first, dead nuts even, whatever you run your timing at can affect your hold. It can affect your pin float. Etc. Etc. So, to me, that's the most important thing, and to me, that's the most important thing with everything. Uh, you know, whether it be indoor, nine hundred, outlaws, uh, safari style field archery. The difference is field archery <coughs> and outlaws. You need to make sure all your sight marks are correct, right? I mean, that means an infinite number of sight marks need to be correct. Fifty-three and a half yards, it better be on. You know, twenty-two. And a seven, uh, you know, seven eights. Who knows? Well, whatever it's going to be, it's got to be dead nuts on. You have to be able to make the shot. You have to be able to set your sight properly. With, you know, stuff like the 900, a fourteen forty feet around, indoor archery. Yeah, you still got sight marks, but you got three of them. And you can adjust them, you know. Say something happens, you show up at the event, and you start shooting. And, oh, you know. The arrows aren't landing exactly where I practiced. Maybe the arrow's landing a little high. You could give it a couple clicks, or you know, if it's a little low, you give it a couple clicks. You can accommodate. You got plenty of arrows. You got 36 arrows to shoot, uh, and 36. Or, no, you got 30 arrows to shoot, and uh, you know, you got time to you can figure it out. You get you get time to work out. So to me, it always seemed like okay if that's 
if that's the given, if the gimmies are now, you know, if the yardages are taken out of the equation and, you know, what's left? Well, you got to break clean shots. You got to break good shots in the middle. What does that mean? Okay, well, bow's got to be easy to shoot. Uh, stabilizer weight's got to be good. Timing's got to be comfortable. <clears throat> and that's it. That's all I tell people. And then in the last five interviews, a bunch of other stuff's come to light, right? Uh, mainly is like your reticle, or reticle, your dot fiber float pattern. I guess, I guess because it's the 900 or feet around, you're starting to transition in. I've always shot the same dot. I shoot a little black dot, right? I'm going to experiment with a pin today. But I've always shot a black dot, and uh, it's always done me really well. You know, as far as floating around, yeah, I, I get that. It, you know, I kind of am not that great at 900 rounds. I, I'm not that great at 1440s or feeders or whatever. And it's because of that whole thing where you're shooting at a 10 ring inside a 9 ring that looks the same. It, it would be like if you're shooting at a, a field round. And uh, or a field target, like say a hunter face, and if you don't hit the X, it's a you know, it's a three, no, a four. My scoring's all bad, but uh, it's like you drop a point if you don't hit middle, you know, and it's kind of like that for the <clears throat> for the one twenty two centimeter feeder face. Granted, it's a big old dot, you know, and it is a ten ring with an X ring in the middle, and both score ten points. <clears throat> so. You know, it, it's just like you have to learn to break middle. You have to learn to, with, with these feeder targets. And I think what helps people do that is changing their pin to either a bigger dot or a fiber or something they're more comfortable floating around, you know, floating around in. Personally, I, I don't like floating around. So, again, my uh, prescription, I guess, would be to get the stabilizer always feeling in a spot where you can just hold middle or you can hold comfortably uh, a large percentage of the time in the middle, you know? You're never going to hold, at least for me, you're never going to hold, like, dead nuts middle and that pin won't move. I've had one bow do that, and it was my... I had a green Matthews 38, uh, the first gen, and I had it run so wonky... Like, I had it, like, uh, knock point was, like, a half inch above the burger hole. So, it, it looked bad. Like, if you were shooting... I shot Nano Pros with it. The Nano Pros just kind of lined up over the burger hole. It was pretty narrow. You could see, like... You could see riser between the burger hole and the arrow. <laughs> it was really... But that bow held where I could put the dot on something, and no matter what I did... Uh, you know, wrenching into the back wall or, or going light on the back wall, it, I could change the pressure that I was pulling with and it wouldn't, uh, it wouldn't change the, the pin float at all. It was nuts. It was nuts. And it, I, I was so wigged out by how high my knock point, you know, sometimes if you twist up your string, you'll set your knock point dead even you twist up your string. Uh, if you only twist it from one side, Sometimes what that can cause is your knock point to move. And, you know, at least that's what I've thought. Maybe that's wrong. Maybe someone out there with more experience will tell me that I'm full of shit. But I'm pretty sure 
you can change your knock point by twisting up your string from one side. Um, so after doing that a whole bunch to get my peep to align and get everything to line up, I created this new problem where, yeah, now my knock point was high. Uh, I just moved the arrow rest, got a bullet hole, and was like off to the races, right? Well, it wigged me out so much that after I corrected it, that bow never held the same. And I've tried to recreate it and never got it back. <laughs> so now I'm just like, all right, time to, I'll settle with a Hoyt feel of pin float, pin float, you know, or a PSE's pin float, which is, you know, more or less more. Uh, I also run less weight on my bars now, so that's probably what I'm feeling, but, but, uh, yeah, you know, it, the, I, so I was going to wrap it up for you guys in a happy meal. All right. So here's the happy meal for the 900. I've said, I've, I've given you guys a what to do for the 900 before, but you can use this for, you know, if you're going to transition to indoor or or whatever, for shooting the, the yellow face, right? The stabilizer weights and that setup, that is something you should have done on your own time, I guess. I, me harping on that, I guess I'm still in the, the baby stages. What all these advanced guys doing, or the, the good shooters, what they're doing they're at this point where they're picking a dot size that they're comfortable with on the face, on this yellow face. And that, that they're seeing how that dot size affects their pin float and their how their mind associates that dot with the, the yellow face. It's super crazy. Like, uh, Brandon Williamson, if you guys ever get a chance to shoot with Brandon Williamson during the indoor season, just lean over and look into his scope. And see how big of a dot Brandon runs. I'm fairly certain uh, they don't make the size dot that Brandon runs. I'm pretty sure he takes a soda can, uh, puts it on a black piece of um, uh, construction paper, you know, uses it like a template, cuts it out, and then super glues it to his scope. Because that's about how big that dot is. It's huge. But for whatever reason, it calms his brain enough when he's shooting to, to execute really well. From what Austin was saying, he's doing not that big of a dot, not a soda can dot, but he's doing like a rather, a larger dot than he's used to, or a larger fiber in this case, for the yellow face. So, I mean, it sounds to me like that, I mean, remember, Blake Jerome also runs the dot, uh, John Weaver runs a fiber and I think he said he ran just the fiber and that helped him on these yellow feet of faces it's something that, that he was comfortable with so you know take with that what you will all the stuff that I've been telling you stabilizer weights you know timing all that stuff that's all basic that's like level one it's white belt shit that I'm telling you because I, I'm still caught up in this white belt phase you know but these guys that are like blue belts brown belts black belts they're on to this next thing. It's the your 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 dot, your pin, you know, and your association with that. Uh, and the other thing that was super crazy was remember John Weaver said I don't fiddle around with my shit a bunch. He was like I said it, and then I start doing it. I hammer out a ton of reps, right? That's the other thing that I have lost, but I aim to get back. Uh, you know, I, I'm getting my practicing in, but uh, I still fiddle here and there. Uh, not fiddling allows you to get used to the pin float and your timing and 
And, uh, you know, because maybe you have a setup that one day you're just draining nothing but threes. You're, you're, or, in this case, hitting nothing but X's. <clears throat> you know? Uh, and then you go to sleep. You go, you know, you go to bed. And then the next day you wake up and you go to shoot again. <clears throat> Everything's off. You know, it's not... You, you've, it's lost that love and feeling. So now... Uh, now what? You start fiddling and try to get it back. And then maybe you get something close. And you're like, alright. But now you're not... You've moved to a new... You know, you're at a new point. What happens the next day? Are you going to have to fiddle again? So... John Weaver said something very very good where he's like, I don't fiddle a whole bunch. Set it. And then I just... I shoot so much that, you know, I figure out what I got to do. And that's that whole Mark Rubio adage. Just shoot your bow, right? That's his, you know... That's his secret sauce. Just shoot your bow. And so, I mean, there you guys have it. Uh, you know, I, I'm probably always going to harp on stabilizer weights being the most important thing. I, I just... I spend so much time on weights and bars. It it can really change the way a bow feels. And it can change the way a bow tears through paper. I mean, that's all pretty basic. I don't know if I'm telling you guys anything you don't know. But the way you set up your stabilizer weights... It, it can change anything. It can make... It can make this bow feel like that bow. You know what I mean? Or vice versa. So, it's the same with timing. But I just assume everyone runs even timing. Which isn't true. I know a lot of you guys run top cam first. But, um, yeah. I, you know, you want to get real nitpicky into it? I mean, this is the, not part of the, the Happy Meal, okay? But uh, independent of the Happy Meal, where you place your knock relative to that burger hole, like dead middle, a little tall, that's all, like, micro-changing your timing. Because, you know, if, you're, if you go super high, like, set your knock point. I will don't do this. If you set your knock point like an inch over the burger hole, and you pull your you pull your shit back, one cam's gonna hit first. Okay, set it set it an inch over uh, under the burger hole. The opposite cam is gonna hit first. You can still time those cams to hit even. You know, <clears throat> what does that tell you? I mean, it's all timing. You you could. You could do that that thing, not adjust your timing, set it dead middle. Maybe you hit closer to both cams hit at the same time because you're pulling from a different part of the string. You're pulling closer to one cam. So uh, all that stuff affects the way the bow holds. I'm not saying tear your shit apart. and I'm saying just be mindful of it, you know? And I, I truly don't think really good shooters fuck around with that stuff way too much you know what I mean I don't think they I think they spend more time on themselves you know and I could be wrong there could be someone out there that's super well like well I actually like to run you know uh, 31 30 seconds over the over you know under the burger hole but I like to keep my knock point you know 5 sixteenths from whatever I don't know Maybe good shooters, like really good shooters, have that shit written down or they remember it and they just know that's what works for me. So, just something to be mindful of. Uh, It seems like with the yellow face target, what's the most important thing is finding the dot or fiber that you are comfortable with, that helps you, you know, that helps you either float to the middle or... doesn't make you like all jumpy if you float outside the tent you know what I mean 
So <clears throat> that seems to be what the the black belts are doing. Uh, I'm the it, you know if you don't have any weight on your bars, you should probably examine that. That's important. I still believe that's an important thing, but you know something to something to think about. I'm pretty sure. Oh, okay, that fiber is important, and then shooting shooting your bow is the other thing that's really important. You know, getting those shots in, uh, blink bailing. I'm still I still haven't gotten on blink bailing, blink bailing, even though all good. <laughs> Really good shooters are like, yeah, I blank bail. <laughs> I still, it's almost like someone's hey, like, here, take this vitamin, and uh, you can slam dunk. And I'm like, eh, yeah, I'll get to it. And then I'm just like jumping, trying to slam dunk on my own. Just take the vitamin, do some blank bailing. All right, that's not, it's not sexy. It's not, uh, it's not fun. Well, I don't know. Maybe you have fun doing it. I, I sure as hell don't. But. Uh, <laughs> When I have time, I'm practicing. So, blank bailing, I have to find a way to fit in. But, guys, be better than me, all right? You can do that. You can be better than me. Get some blank bailing in there. So, <clears throat> anyway, uh, I got uh, a couple more guests I'm going to try to get to today and give you guys some more some more juicy tidbits. I mean, I just gave you the, the Happy Meal. So, everything else beyond this is just... I don't know, toys and Frosties, I guess. So uh, stay tuned, and I hope you guys enjoy it. Alex. Wendell. Dude, is this not the most unorganized podcast you've ever been a guest on? <laughs> That's not that bad. It can always be worse. <laughs> dude, thank you for coming on my show, man. No problem. Happy to be here. Oh, Dude. Uh, I, I've been wanting to have you on for some time. Actually, ever since you won the BC shoot, you've been on my radar to to ask questions about. Like, one of the things with Archery Unfiltered is I always try to make it a show where I interview a champion, right? And uh, you hit that definition in my book when you won the BC shoot, which is arguably one of the hardest shoots in the Bay Area. Uh, and I know you're not a Bay Area guy, but it's one of our hardest shoots around here. So, slowly becoming one of my favorite 3D tournaments. I've only, <laughs> I've only, I've only, I've only shot it twice before, and uh, I think, I think I'm gonna uh, start becoming a bit of a regular. <laughs> it was definitely my favorite after I won it too. <laughs> How can you not like dinosaurs, man? How can you not like dinosaurs. So how have you been, Alex? What's what's um, what have you been up to lately? Ah, uh, you know, just kind of being a little bit sporadic in the in the archery, just trying to figure out what if I'm shooting indoor, outdoor, uh, mm-hmm. shooting something with uh, one string or three strings or with or without a sight. Just kind of been uh, what? using this time to, you know, do some exploration. Does that mean you've been shooting recurve? Uh, I, ha- I have a, I have a, I have a bare bow recurve. I have a long bow. Um, I have a, I have a bare bow compound that was given to me by my grandfather. So I've kind of always been involved in. You're so, one of these multidisciplinary guys, huh? Yeah. So tomorrow I'm shooting the 900 round with my long bow with wood arrows, and then I'll be refocusing for the 900 round with my compound at Aranko at the, on the 19th. Oh, cool, man. Cool. I love it. I, uh, whenever 
people shoot multiple disciplines. I've always wanted to try it. I used to be uh, a guy that dabbled in barebow, uh, just because I love the people that do barebow. You know, uh, but admittedly, I suck at barebow, so I just stuck to what I was decent at. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I, uh, I, uh, I, I, I can't say I'm all that great at it. I've, I've, uh, I've had some, I've had some good tournaments, and I've. Uh, <laughs> Have the opportunity to you know shoot with my dad more because because I choose to shoot that class sometimes and so when I don't have a large tournament coming up that I'm practicing for my compound with you know because that's obviously my primary I uh, I enjoy uh, sending them out there. Well, dude, for I, so if anyone wants to know who Alex Mueller is, I would suggest first listening to your podcast with Rudy. I thought that was I thought that was a really fun podcast to listen to, and uh, you are. A wealth of knowledge. Is that the correct way to say that? A wealth of knowledge? Yeah, I think that's, pr- I think that's pretty accurate. You yeah. Know? Just, uh, just kind of trying to be a sponge for everybody I run into, whether it be a professional a household name that we all know or somebody that uh, has just got something that they're willing to tell me with, with or without even knowing who I am, right? Never know if you're going <laughs> to pick up a nugget or two. Well, I know who you are because I always see you at – uh, either FIDA events or I'll see you at regional. I mean, I, I, dude, honestly, I thought you lived up here because you traveled up here for so many events. And like, I literally thought you were from the Bay Area, like San Francisco Bay Area. You know? Well, you, you guys got a lot of tournaments that I want to shoot. And so that means I can <laughs> do one of two things sit at home and wish I was there or I could travel. And so. <laughs> I travel. <laughs> That's cool, man. About about how many tournaments do you do on average, Alex? Like a um, year. I should say a year. I should give a time frame there. Uh, well, compound specifically, I probably average between, I would say, between 40 and 50. God damn! So, obviously in COVID, it's been cut a little bit short, but, you know, I've I've attended, you know, both of the the national roundup tournaments that have been held at Yankton in the last two years. And um, I traveled for at least two or three of the, the feet of tournaments, the U S archery 50 meter stuff. I try to attend target nationals and I try to shoot all the state tournaments indoor. Out, right. You know, do you do uh, the, um, the SoCal showdown? Yes. Yeah. I, I, um, I didn't have the best finish uh, for, uh, as Alan did at the previous one, one because uh-huh. I wasn't there. I wasn't there. I was actually attending a wedding that weekend. But the year previous to that, I took fourth place at the last SoCal Showdown. Oh, whoa! Yeah, whoa, that's awesome. I've never done that great at the SoCal Showdown. Uh, I, I I get very intimidated when I have to stand on the line with uh, well-known pros. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah, you know, you just gotta, yeah, uh, you just gotta do it. That's what that's what it seems. <laughs> yeah. That's what it that's what it seems to have been really successful for me. Is is uh, there's only so many books you can read about the subject, and there's only so many ways you can practice breathing exercises, and there's only so <laughs> many ways you can get butterflies before you just gotta just gotta do it. <laughs> Dude, that is one of the things I admire about you, Alex. When I um, like I. So I, as you listen to my podcast, you realize that uh, one of the things I do is I compliment you and then I reel it back in for myself, right? So one of the things I admire about you is when I was very serious about archery, the way I learned, uh, aside from practicing with good people, 
was competing as much as I possibly could. Because I believe that's the only way to really get better is to put yourself out there. And it's like taking a bunch of driving tests, you know, like you'll be really good at driving tests eventually. If that makes sense. It's a weird analogy, but you get what I'm, you get where I'm going, right? Just got to just, yeah, I, you know, I wholeheartedly agree. And that there's just, there's just nothing like a tournament and uh, it doesn't matter if it's a little local 3d tournament or a national tournament. I try to treat them all the same and I try to practice like I'm in a tournament all the time so that, when I get under pressure, I don't necessarily have to worry about, uh, you know, folding or having my heart rate jacked up. I try to maintain somewhat of a normal yeah, temperament. You seem very calm. Uh, I think uh, the last was it is a 1440 that we shot. I mean, you beat me pretty soundly and uh, you were up there kind of doing battle with Darren and Mark Rubio, Darren Crevet and Mark Rubio. And you were pretty calm. You were pretty mellow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, the FIDA stuff is definitely something I've become more comfortable with within the last couple of years, just because I, I was had an affinity for not shooting well on anything with a yellow face. I, I very much was involved in, in shooting field. That was probably my favorite and probably my best, uh, you know, discipline within, within archery. And then second to that would, would have been 3d. And then, you know, down at the bottom of the list, it would be a dead tie between indoor and 50 meters for a long time. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, okay, that leads me the yellow face. Uh, as I've been talking about, I've been harping on the 900 for, I, I think, like the last four weeks now. I've been talking about the 900, and I think everyone, uh, I, you just said you were about to shoot it. Are you shooting it next week? I'm shooting the 900 round with my compound on the 19th. On the 19th. Okay, so you got two weeks. So a bunch of people are either shooting it next week or the week after. Um. What have you done different or have you done diff- anything differently to prepare for this 900? Yes. Yeah. So in, in years past, I've tried to run just my setup that I've shot, you know, throughout outdoor season. Uh-huh. I've made little to no changes. And this time around, I figured that, you know, I've had some good 900 rounds, but I've had some pretty poor ones. And they've all been, you know, on, on utilizing a very similar setup. And so this time around, whereas I would normally have switched to a dot in my housing with a higher magnification lens, mm-hmm. I'm going to shoot the 900 for the first time with a, an up pin and a four power lens, which I have not done in a 900 round before. Um, I was hoping to have my new bow set up specifically to test it out on the 900 round, but my old faithful gray citation is going to have to take <laughs> one, have to, have to, have to get me through this one more because I just <laughs> I don't have the time to, to get it where I want it to be. <laughs> what what's the new bow? Uh, it's another citation, but uh, uh, I have decided, which is going to sound kind of interesting, you know, to really commit even more so to the FIDA next year, and I just want to have a bow that's going to be set up that I can shoot at any time to really practice that, that discipline because I'm building a complete arrow that's like specialized for shooting FIDA. The bow is going to be uh, set up a little bit differently. That's going to hopefully help, uh, help me be a little bit more competitive with some of these guys that, you know, at the top, uh, it, it, it's going to weigh a little bit differently. I'm going to be running a new different set of stabilizers, uh, different weight setup. I have a bunch of stuff in the works, for it and it's just you know a bunch of pieces needing to be put together and a bunch of testing but 
Okay. Uh, now you've piqued my curiosity. Would, would this be a similar boat? Like, so you're saying you're going to have this thing ready to roll next season, right? Most likely for for Fita stuff. Oh, for sure. At, uh, when I shoot the Arizona Cup, this boat will this boat will be there. Will you use this bow for next year's 900 round? Yes. Okay. Yes. Boom. Uh, so it's going to be a bow and arrow setup. Correct. Everything basically really building the bow from for scratch for this one game. Okay. How would you how would you go about doing that? Oh, unless this is a secret. If this is proprietary Alex Mueller information, you don't have to give it up, but uh... no, 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 it's not. Uh, I I'm going to be running a, a a different powered lens that I'd run in the past for both indoor FIDA and and regular spot shooting. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna I'm gonna shoot a little bit more high power lens. I have a couple different options right now that I'm looking to test. I have a six and eight and nine ish power lens. Really, um, a nine? Yeah, it. it with my draw length and depending on if you subscribe to the power or the diopter, uh, you know, mentality, right. they kind of all fall, uh, you know, somewhere, somewhere in the line, somewhere at that upper echelon. No, I, no idea it's going to work. I'll be shooting a really small uh, black dot, which I have not shot in the past. I'm running shorter stabilizers with more weight. Oh, I'm cool. Shooting a, I'm shooting a shorter arrow with more, with more point weight in the front. Um, I'm st- I'm still going to shoot the Black Eagle Revelations. Mm-hmm. Those are making making a comeback, but I'm going to switch over to a tungsten point that's made by Sure Shot Archery. It's what uh, Brady Ellison and some of the other <clears throat> recurve shooters for the U.S. national team uh, put in their in in their arrows in lieu of the, the Easton or the uh, top hat points. Oh which wow! Are the other two uh, really popular options. Or would you run 120 grain point, or would you go a little heavier? I'm running uh, right now. I run 130s in mine, and I'm going to be mm-hmm. looking to run 140s. Uh, interesting. Okay, so it sounds like you're going for a more weight. Uh, I'm sorry, wind, uh, like something to combat the wind, for or wind drift at, at the 90 meter, 70 meter distances. 100 percent, Wendell. Roars right out of my mouth. Yeah, I've so I've done this for um, the 900. Uh, trying to build an arrow that would be as heavy as possible for 60 yards. And what I got was like a really weird effect because I guess I, I, it must be like the difference is I built my arrow really long and heavy. I did long arrow, 140 in the front, tried to weigh it down as much as possible. But I could see that having more surface area to catch wind. So I can kind of see how your your arrow build, the shorter, heavier point in the front, could be uh, beneficial. Yeah, and who knows how this is going to go? I'm gonna I'm gonna try it out, and if not, I'm gonna end up heading down the route of a arrow with you know not maximum 120 grain point, and you know, I might have you know multiple sets of arrows that I build to just see what seems uh-huh. to be working the best for me. And I might have to make a spine adjustment. You know, I'm shooting 400s right now, and that might mean I need a 350 or a 450. I don't I don't know at this point. Right, right. Um, what kind of vein do you plan to run? I'm going to I'm gonna keep running my tried-and-true uh, Lex Fletch 225s. Oh, you're one of the 225 guys. Yes, 
Yeah. Dude, so I've always been one of the 225 guys. Everyone else has just decided that they're cool now. And now I don't feel <laughs> now I feel now now I feel like I'm one of one of the crew now instead of all these one eights, all these one eight sevens, and everyone's like, Why is your vein so big? I'm like, well, why is yours so small? <laughs> oh, cool. Dude, okay. A lot of good shooters that I, I've you know, well, mainly as Austin Watts was trying to tell me two twenty-five was the shit. And I, I was like, oh, yeah, okay. I was like, you're right about everything, but not that. And then Doug Rosin was telling me 225 is the shit. And I was like, you're bald. So, no. <laughs> and uh, now you're telling me. And it seems like a lot of people are running 225s on a micro diameter arrow. Or a slim they're, diameter arrow. They're starting, to, they're starting to creep their way into the top. Into the you, top ranks of some of the professionals as well. They're, Alex, they're, you're not afraid that a 225 will be um, affected by wind drift more than uh, a 187. You know the 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 225s have yet to fail me, and until until I can specifically say that the reason why my arrow failed to hit the middle uh-huh. was because the vein caused my arrow to drift a little bit more and I shoot a nine or a few nines, then I will revisit, you know, that, that, uh, okay. same so, profile. I see. It's, it's just something that you've, you've used, like you, like you said, you've been using two twenty fives for a while. They work. Why, why mess with what works? Yes. Yeah. And, and in, in the past when I just started shooting freestyle, uh, and making the switch, you know, I was shooting those, uh, blazer x2s which were short and tall mm-hmm. and i and those some of those sometimes i'd send some arrows out of my bow and the wind would just make that arrow do some crazy things in, in oh, between uh, yeah in between my bow and the target and so i've had an i've had a little bit of a uh, an issue going to a, a smaller vein um but you know some people who have really been influential in my archery career you know scott and sheila bomar they both shoot the the, the 187s so um and they they say that you know that's that's where the vein needs to be and you know maybe i maybe i'm just not uh maybe i'm just not ready uh no i think you might be onto something i I, i'm i'm very curious to see how this uh arrow flies because I've always wanted to do this. I've always wanted to build an arrow that's either specialized for FIDA, but specifically for the 900. Like, um, because the 900 is kind of like one of these kind of like background events, comes around once a year. It's easy in theory, right? And for some reason, people get hung up. And I'm like, oh, it would be so cool to build an arrow for this thing, you know? So, I... Do you, what kind of do you run uh, uh, biter knocks on your arrows? No, I have uh, Easton G knock pin knocks. Awesome, dude! Awesome. I, I I'm seeing a ton of people do the the biter knock thing, and now I don't feel special. So it's cool seeing someone still run G knocks. Yeah, you know, I'd, from from when I first started, uh, kind of getting getting myself a good set of arrows, even before I was shooting freestyle the G-Knock has been a pretty, uh, pretty big staple in, in pretty much every arrow build that I've, I've ever done for pretty much every discipline. And I try to put that thing on everything, you know, I'm, right. <laughs> I'm building the set of indoor arrows right now, and I'm going to make a set of 27s, which I haven't made in a couple years. And I'm trying to find a, a pin knock adapter that I can shove down the end of that 27 <laughs> so I can, so I can stick my, my faithful G-Knock on the end of it. 
Dude, it's hard to beat Genoc consistency. Okay, so I have so many questions. You have piqued my curiosity, and I love guests like this, Alex, because I have so many questions. So the first one is, uh, you're setting the bow up differently, and you've mentioned you have shorter bars, or you're planning on running shorter bars with more weight, right? I can see that for being to resist uh, blowing your pin off. Uh, the more weight will also allow you to hold a little better. The bow itself, are you going to set your draw length up shorter to break stronger? Or are you going to set your draw, draw length up slightly longer to float slower? Or what, what do you have in mind as far as that goes? So I, uh, I, I obviously shoot at, at the SE cam on, my, on all, my, all of my PSE bows. And so what I tend to do is the draw mods have these pins in them. Mm-hmm. I typically knock those pins out. And that allows me to put my draw length wherever I want. So if I want to be G and a half or F and a half or whatever it is, I, I can do that by removing that pin. Oh. Um, so I'll be running my bow slightly shorter than I normally do. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's in hopes of helping me hold a little bit stronger in the wind when, mm-hmm. I'm, <clears throat> when, I'm, when I'm under those types of conditions. Because really, I haven't really shot many of these U.S. archery FIDA-based events that have not had some wind, right. whether it be sporadic or just constant. And what I found is that even with the draw stops that I have on my bow, I have a tendency to get bumped off depending on the type of breeze that I get hit with. Mm-hmm. So that's leading me to run it a little bit shorter. Hence the reason for the slightly shorter bars. I'm also going to be more micro diameter bar, which is different than the ones I typically run on my, my bow now. Will it be an archery Republic? bar correct there oh, got something these... new in the works huh yes yes awesome micro diameter bar cool for the wind more weight awesome um would you be running your timing the same i always run my timing even uh-huh. i don't ever i don't ever make any many many manipulations on that i always run them uh dead square i don't i don't i uh, i try to shoot the bow as close to as intended as possible which probably sounds like an oxymoron for how much things i change on the bows that i do have (laughs) (laughs) no i i get i get it though it's like it's engineered to be a certain way and then you see where you can fill gaps exactly um okay uh oh i had another question um what was the last thing i just i asked about Uh, i'm drawing a blank here you just asked about whether I was going to be running a shorter draw length. Yeah, shorter draw length. Oh, okay. Your um, your knock point. Uh, where will you run your knock point? And then I'm going to hit you with something and see what you think about it. So historically, uh, I was a Hoyt shooter for a very long time, and I always ran my knock my knocking point at the same. It was always a sixteenth over center. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And on my PSC citations, I've run them at zero, you know, centered exactly. Uh-huh. Right uh, down and, the burger and then, hole. Right down the burger hole. And then if there's needs to be making some sort of slight adjustment, I'll take I'll I'll do that in my limb bolts. So I'll, you know, take a take a take a quarter turn out of my bottom limb bolt and I'll add it to the top in order to kind of shift that knocking point just slightly above center. Uh, I get a little tiller action, a little tiller tuning action. Correct. Yes. Okay. So here's what I'm gonna hit you with. I'm gonna see what you think about this. Uh, I have run bows in the past, my Hoyts specifically, going low through the burger hole. And it was something that 
Henry Bass told me one year, and I thought, well, Henry's a badass. I'll, I'll copy Henry exactly. And running your arrow low through the burger hole puts the arrow closer to your hand so that the angle, like slight angles of your hand canting like left and right will be less so because it will be closer to the pivot point. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah, it makes sense. And is it bullshit? Depending on the, is it bullshit? Well, well, you know, I think there's a couple things probably have to take into consideration depending on the Hoyt model bows this was and whether or not the center of the grip was actually in the center of the riser, which in most of the later model Hoyt bows, that's not the case. They're uh-huh. slightly off center. Mm-hmm. Um, by, by doing that, you essentially could be manipulating, you know, the arrow placement such that it's actually closer to the middle. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, depending on where you're running your arrow rest, I feel like the location of your arrow rest being over the pivot point of the grip that you were referring to is more important than you know the location of the arrow through the burger buttonhole sometimes you know i i i I, I, it's just a fact of the matter that the bow casts an arrow better from lower in the burger buttonhole than from the middle of it right sometimes it's not worth uh fighting it if that's where it wants to be yeah that's where it works for you yeah you shoot the bear shaft through paper you know if you use the flat shaft um you shoot that through paper and it's giving you whatever result uh, you feel like is going to make you sleep well at night, then that's <laughs> where it's got to be. Well, I, I, this method, this low in the burger hole thing has not carried over for me for the Matthews, like the Matthews bows for some reason do not like it and it's given me hell. So I am back to, you know, t- top ish of the burger hole somewhere between middle and top. So I'm not so sure in the TRX model bows, like the one that you're shooting now, the grip is in the center of the riser, right? It's you basically have, you know, exactly the same distance from the center of the grip above the riser and below. Right. Whereas the, I think that's not the case to the burger hole. I think the burger hole is centered. The burger bowl is centered. Okay. Yeah. I think, I think I don't know. I say stuff on this podcast that is really wrong apparently all the time. And now I'm like self-conscious about it. (laughs) I uh, I uh, I have worked on three Matthews bows in my life, and uh, so far I've got the people shooting them uh, to uh, get rid of all except for one of them. So, uh, <laughs> uh, not a fan, I, huh? <laughs> not a fan. I uh, I uh, I have struggled to shoot one of those bows multiple times. And it's just, and, they uh, hold so damn good, dude. It's like it make me work for it at least. <laughs> your silence yeah. speaks volumes sir <laughs> you know uh uh there 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 is a lot to be said about the the bow manufacturers that you're making equipment these days there's a, re- a there's a lot of really good bows in the market uh-huh and um i've i've just i've just seen too many too many things happen to really good shooters uh to their matthews bows yes and, i and have I've as well had, I have as and well. I, uh, and, and I keep getting fed the same excuse or the same reasoning behind it is, oh, this will, well, this is just what happens. All bows are like this. Yeah, and I was unex- like, unacceptable. Unacceptable. Like, right. I agree. Like, I- <laughs> are you talking about the bearing failure that seems to be plaguing all, like, like 90% of the Matthews bows out there? B- bearings falling out, the axles being slightly deformed when they come. Uh, not putting the appropriate set of limbs on the bow when they get sent from the factory. Oh, God uh, damn. Know, just, 
just an enormous amount of cam lean and a bow brand new out of the box. You know, I know that you have had really good luck with the sets of zebra strings. That yes, have been on. I actually just put my own strings on uh, or yeah. put, put a different set of strings on. But yes, I've had very good luck with zebra strings. And, you know, I've seen two brand new bows out of the box, you know, shooting with some people who are diehard Matthews fans, both the hunting line and the target line. And two or three weeks later, the serving at the top and bottom is beginning to, to, to separate and to, you know, kind of uh, tell me that, you know, maybe they need to rework the serving. I don't, I have, I have no doubt that perhaps the material that they're utilizing in the string is, is a solid, is a solid material. Right. But I, I think that with how much pressure those, those ends of the strings and cables get put under that they need to put a little bit more effort into. Yes. I would not mind those. if they just, if one day they decided that they wanted to start serving their end loops, like everybody else, that would be cool too. But <laughs> you know, until that day comes, I'm happy. Like, I've had a little bit of bearing issues that I ended up solving just by swapping a bearing out. But um, I've heard this on so many people like are they're having this issue and it just seems, I don't know. It, it just seems like it shouldn't happen. So maybe, I, maybe I, it'll be corrected, but I, I agree with you. I know what you're talking about. Everybody celebrated <laughs> Matthew's going to a quarter inch axle uh-huh. and I just uh-huh. wish that they would have taken it one step more. And then I might be sitting here today saying, you know what? I love my brand new Matthews TRX that I've been shooting. Um, but I cannot tell you how many sets of bearings Scott has changed in those TRX models within the last two months. So the or, bear- bearings are failing because of the axle size. No, the, the bearings they're using in the bows are just, they're, they're cheap. I, you know, the, the ones in the, in the, in my Hoyt, they also weren't that great. And mm-hmm. that's a, that's from a different problem. So Hoyt has a tendency to under drill the holes in the cams mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. then just jam the bearing into the, into the, into the hole, which effectively, you know, squeezes the ball bearings inside and just drastically reduces the life. On top of that, they're using a really cheap bearing. Matthews oh. does a, Matthews does a really good job drilling the bearing holes that uh-huh. they sit into. They're all, they're, they're really nice. I've looked at a, plenty of those camps. Uh, the problem is, is they just use an inferior bearing for what type of work those cams are doing. Those cams are under an enormous amount of load. Uh-huh. And we're talking about a bearing that's seeing anywhere between 250 to 350 pounds per bearing during throughout the draw cycle. And they're putting in a bearing that's rated for like a hundred, 150 pounds. No shit. So it, 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 and, and they're just buying them by the thousands. Right. So they don't really care. But right. Then, that's, that's how I figured. I figured it's a bunch of Chinese bearings, not to, not to disparage our uh, economic overlords, but I, you know, I think um, they're just buying a crap ton of shit bearings is what it is. And they got three in there, man. I mean, they got so many good things going. Like, yeah. it's just like, man, you're so close. Yeah. You're so close. <laughs> I put Japanese bearings in my Matthews. So, <laughs> you know, I try to upgrade a little bit for, you know, with some tools from the motherland. And uh, so far, it seems to be working pretty well. I, I, I have no doubt we'll be infinitely more satisfied. And uh, as long as you don't tighten the sh- 
crap out of those uh, those little screws that go into the axle. Oh, uh, the axle uh, uh, containment screws. Correct. Yeah. So I've been told. You know, I don't even shoot a Matthews, but I've been told replace those screws with longer ones. Have seen more bearing life out of the stock, you know, setup that they get from Matthews. Really. So the first. The so first thing they do is they throw those things out and they put in a longer set of screws and then they make sure that they're, you know, centering those appropriately and not putting any additional uh, force squeezing the limb tips together, which is essentially what are what some of these people who have had problems with bearings fail very quickly is they're they're tightening those uh, those bolts or those screws that really is... tight. Whoa. I did not know that. I have. I have built a Hoyts where I have like squeezed the limbs together to get my C clip on, you know, <laughs> at the end <laughs> where I've like muscled shit together and then that C clip just ba- or E clip just barely stays on. And then I'm like, all right, good, good to go. Yeah. The, the, one of the things that, um, I've, I've taken apart and looked at some Matthews bows with Scott and it seems like one of the issues with those bows is that the, the, when the limbs come out of the limb pocket, they, they basically uh, are further apart at, at the, uh, at, at the cam. Uh-huh. And so you essentially have like a, a V shape uh-huh. and then you're shoving that axle in there and then tightening those screws down. And then you're just putting an enormous amount of side load into those bearings and just killing them. Whoa. So uh, what we've done to to some of the Matthews bows that um, that you know I've had the pleasure of working on Scott or talking Scott talking to Scott about them is that uh, he's gone and made sure that the limbs were perfectly parallel uh, in the in the limb pocket by sh- doing some shimming and that has just alleviated an enormous amount of problems in the in in those uh, in in those uh, those cams and bearings. Holy crap! That's insane. Oh, I mean, not insane, but that's that's uh, in in depth. That's crazy. Yeah. Well, you know, sometimes, like I said, uh, I got I got I got uh, I got some people to switch from from Matthews to other bow manufacturers, not just PSE. All right. But, well, and, give, give me the, the 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 gritty the 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 nitty gritty on the PSE. Why do you like shooting the Citation? Now that I have nothing against PSEs, I think they're cool. You know. Um, but, uh, yeah. What, what do you like about the PSCs, Alex? So the, one of the, one of the things I really enjoy is the adjustability uh-huh. of the, of, of the draw cycle. As I was working more and more with rebuilding my shot from basically scratch at, at basically starting after Fresno Safari in 2018, um, my draw length was increasingly getting longer. Uh-huh. And it, when you're, when shooting the white model bows, you, once you have the, the the biggest mod on there within the cam you're in, you're you're kind of SOL and got to get a whole nother set of cams. Yeah, and even then, that well, I guess yeah, you got to get a new set of cams. I've I've done the thing with cams, and sometimes you need a different limb deflection also. Correct. So, so that, it fucks everything up. If you just throw cams on, then you're like pulling or pushing five or more, or sometimes five less pounds depending on uh, what you're going to. And and then the other the other thing that hap- you could do is you know get a different string or cable length and try to go at it about you know that way and then you're running an axle to axle that's not where, where the manufacturer is specified and right and you're having you know having those other problems and you know 
Right. Perhaps if you want to sell the bow later, you have a set of strings on there and then you just send it off to the guy who buys it. And he's like, man, this thing is so long. That's not what it's supposed to be. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so the adjustability is one component of it. And I had been shooting a spiral cam, you know, the SVX cams and the spiral cams on the previous generation bows. And I was just getting beat up by those things. They were so critical and uh, moving over and drawing the SE cam and then specifically drawing the SE cam with uh, Scott's Torrington needle bearings installed just gave me a draw cycle that I feel like you feel every time you draw your Matthews. And I just wasn't getting that out of the Hoyt. Uh-huh. Uh, even even after I changed the bearings in my Hoyt and went with a ceramic ball bearing instead of a steel ball bearing, the draw cycle got a lot better, but I just felt like I was getting crippled. I didn't have the best of shot. You know, it's mm-hmm. really difficult to shoot those things well all the time. I've had some really good tournaments and I've had some really bad ones. And I was like, man, I didn't really think I was shooting that bad. <laughs> if I was just slightly fatigued, I just get, I just really struggle. Oh, and so I was a quick adopter of spirals when I first started shooting. So I just learned to love the ass beating it gave. I, just, <laughs> I was like a real sick, sick puppy. Well, how do you feel about the TRX? I mean, that is not. Well, I'm not. like, I'm a big baby now, dude. So like, cause I, cause I have a baby. I'm like a big softie. Now I don't, I'm not like a grizzled young stud like you guys are. So I'm now shooting much less weight on my bow. Uh, I'm shooting much higher let off. I've, I've, I've basically traded in my, my drag racing vehicle for like a, like a, a wagon, you know? So, and that's how I'm running it. Uh, um, you know, I got, <laughs> I got air ride shocks now. So, um, Dude, so you were saying you like the adjustability of PSE because you can get like really fine draw length adjustments. Yes. Yeah. Do you like elite bows? I cannot say that I've ever shot an elite bow. Uh huh. Um, I I have heard what a lot of previous professionals have had to say about them in terms of the the R and D and development uh-huh. that they've made made on their most recent models. Uh-huh. And if I would have heard a narrative of they were taking into account a lot of what the professionals had to say to build a better product, that might have been a bow that I would have, you know, tried out or at least attempted to shoot once or twice before I, you know, picked up a PSE for the first time. Because mm-hmm. I had strictly shot Hoyt. I mean, I was I was a full Hoyt fanboy, loved every Hoyt bow that came out, loved the spiral cams, mm-hmm. didn't know any better and was full wholeheartedly ready to shoot that Invicta. And I, I, I called Brian Webb at impact archery this, the day that he got it. And I was like, do you got, you have one in? Yes, I do. Okay. I'm going to drive from Southern California because you're the only one that's got one that I can try to shoot. And I shot that bow and I was like, I just don't think I can shoot this bow. <laughs> so it, it stick with the, what I know in the prevail or uh, heed the warnings uh, you know, in terms of where I was at in those in those bows, I'd had them for a couple of years, and it was just like, you know, maybe I need to try something new. Right. And the 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 exploration began. You know. Right. I, I shot I shot the TRX. I I uh, I shot some of my some of my buddies' uh, other bows that they had, and they none of them really fit me as well as the super focus did which is what I ended up switching to first. Uh-huh. 
I remember I remember seeing you shoot the Super Focus. Um, I think at Redwood Bowman, if I'm not Correct. mistaken. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That yeah. was one of the first outings. Yeah. I I mean, you shot really great with that bow. That was a that was a, a clean shooting setup. And it, it's still around. It's uh, it's uh, it's now its sole purpose is pounding at twenty yards. So that's your indoor bow. Yes. Okay. On to question two: indoor bows and your setup. First, I want to probe your brain on arrows because I think I've uncovered some crazy shit with indoor arrow builds, and I'm you know I'm just listening to what other people say so I can either verify or disprove my own crazy thoughts, but. Um, how do you have your indoor arrows built? So my 23s are 2314s with a 200 grain point. They're 29 and a quarter inches long. They got flex fletch 418s with a super drive 23 pin knock adapter and the, you know, the G knock. Uh-huh. Um, mm-hmm. I have for my 27 build, which I'm working on right now. It looking, it's going to be about 33 inches long with a 250 grain point, same 418 flex fletch veins. And right now, custom pin knock adapter that Scott makes for me or a triple uh, X pin knock adapter from, I think, Gold Tip. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Gotcha. Uh, did, did you say what kind of weight you run on your 27s? I'm sorry. 250. 250. That seems to be the winning number from a lot of people. I know Perkins runs 250. Uh, Blake Jerome runs 250. Have you experimented with a bunch of point weights and came up with that? Yes. Uh, so I basically, I've done all the way from 225 in a carb in a in a in a carbon in a carbon arrow build and an aluminum arrow build all the way to 325. Oh wow! So and two, uh, 250s you know, did it for you. 250s have been the ones that have seemed to perform the best. Uh-huh. Now I have historically shot all my best indoor scores with a 23 diameter arrow. Really? So I am hoping this year, the 27 can can behave, can behave and potentially take that top, that top spot. Alex, do you shoot a blade or do you shoot a drop away? So, um, I don't know if you've seen it before, but Scott and Sheila have that two pedal, uh, arrow rest that's uh-huh. mounted on a freak show. It's like a bow so, doodle. It's a, like the old, old school bow doodles that are, yeah, I've seen it. It's custom fabbed onto a freak show. Yeah. So before the bow doodle came out that Scott had started to develop that profile. Uh huh. And, um, that's kind of what they've shot for a very long time. So I have two arrow rests one with that with slightly shorter blades uh-huh. uh, that are a little bit thicker that are set up for my 23s and then i have some slightly i have another arrow rest that has that same setup on it with slightly longer pedals with with a little bit less uh, material in those in those pedals interesting do you, uh, do, you, do you not have any um itch or inkling to shoot the uh a drop away for indoor um i have a lot of friends that shoot dropaways mm-hmm. and I have never shot one myself. And so I have very limited knowledge on how those dropaways perform. Uh-huh. The one thing, the one thing that I, that seems to be reoccurring in my mind and I've seen it happen because I've helped a lot of my friends tune those rests 
is that if you see any substantial spring stretch or the tension in that uh, spring changes ever so slightly, which picks up the actual, you know, drop away arm, you can start getting some pretty interesting arrow flights. Right. When you the, get some weird arrow... shit. I also, dude, I, what I found is just where you run that, like a lot of people will just tie that cable to the timing cable for a ham skier, right? We'll just tie it to an axle yeah. or, you know, tie it to the little adapter pocket on the end. You know, the pillow, pillow block adapter or whatever. And yeah. what I found is unless you experiment with where that timing is, you will get shitty results. Like you literally yeah. got to find a sweet spot. So I understand. I've run a blade religiously for a very long time. I think I may have found uh, a drop away sweet spot right now. So I'm going to fuck around with that for a little bit and see how that goes. But I fully understand the hesitancy to not want to mess around with that because it's kind of like unnecessary stuff if you got something working for you. I have sh- I have shot a freak show for such a long time. I have so many of them and I I shoot them in various configurations with various blade thicknesses and sizes depending on what it is that I'm doing. But my outdoor setup that has yet to ever experience even the slightest bit of a failure has been a freak show with a freak blade 10,000 thick and i have taken that thing you know across the country into Mm -hmm. other countries and back on airplanes on boats and cars and buses and (laughs) right that ain't nothing going wrong with that and have had no problems uh (laughs) and uh uh i uh i spent an enormous amount of time when i was uh at the uh, indoor tournament that kind of pseudo replaced Vegas at the beginning of the year, mm-hmm. the Rush or Rumble, and uh-huh. Hamski was there, and so my friends who were shooting dropaways were picking their brains, and they were telling them, you know, the the owner of Hamski was there and discussing, you know, the best placement of where you want to put your dropaway rest, and very much like you said, it's very much experimenting, but mo- the consensus really was is what you should be using is that pad that they give you in the box, right. And it needs to be a certain distance away from your limb. Where it happens to be varies on the bow that you're shooting and the axle axial and how parallel the limbs are. And you got to use that pad. Uh, what you're looking for is the blade to be fully up at a certain percentage of your draw cycle and have that be fully down at a certain percentage of your draw cycle. It was right. something like up at 30% and down at, you know, like up, up 30% through the draw cycle, which means it's down to give yeah. you that consistent arrow flight. It just, it, it seemed very confusing to me that like I was, I've also heard that same thing, but then it's like, why would you make a little adapter that just bolts onto the end of the limb? And then just, yeah, I'll just hook it up right there. It's convenient. You know, it's like, well, it's like the worst possible spot for timing. Made to be sold and not used. <laughs> I bought one, dude. I bought one. <laughs> Money in the bank, Wendell. They gotcha. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm putting a, a Hamskia Junior through college right now. Yeah. Um. So, dude, I take it because you're running a blade, you're running a, a three vein and not or a three fletch, not four fletch. Correct. Correct. Three fletch. FFP four hundred on your twenty yeah. sevens. Correct. Yeah. Very nice. Very nice. Do you do hard helical? So I always run an offset. Okay. Uh, no, no helical, straight clamp, uh, <clears throat> half half degree 
offset. Uh-huh. I know, um, I like just Facebook and Instagram stalking, uh, I believe it was, I can't remember who it was exactly. I want to say it's Chance Bobeth, but it looked like he also is running an offset instead of a hard helical one. And he also runs a blade. So I was thinking it was like a clearance for clearance reasons. Uh, well, I can, I can tell you one of the other reasons is that, uh, with a vein that's that long with a helical, mm-hmm. I just, sometimes I just have a hard time accurately gluing that damn thing down to an aluminum shaft. Oh yeah. I'll, I'll get him to pick up ever so slightly and I can never just get it just right. And so then I'm unhappy with it and I'm kind of very particular about how I choose to build my arrows. And so I just find myself unfletching and refletching and, Maybe it's the glue. Maybe it's me. Maybe I'm not putting enough time into it. And so with that offset, I feel really comfortable. And I always feel like my veins are going to come off if people grab them and rip on them. And uh, they aren't going <laughs> to you know, fall off halfway down to the target. You know, I, uh, I've been yeah. in too many tournaments where I've seen feathers and veins fly off. And, you know, they're down to they only brought six arrows because they only have six indoor arrows. And by the end of it, they're shooting one arrow with three veins and <laughs> two others with one or two on them. So... <laughs> Uh, that's funny dude i've been that guy (laughs) um okay so uh my other question was do you have a location where you put your vein from the knock like a distance do you have a a distance that you've come up with or do you just pick a distance you know like that's what i'm using so it varies by the arrow diameter that i'm shooting so Mm -hmm. if we're talking about i use a bits and burger and Uh so on the straight clamp, three lines up, which is, I, I think, like, just over. It's, like, a little more than a quarter of an inch in terms of those graduations and at, for, for, three, for three lines. Uh-huh. That's, where I, that's where I run my, my outdoor arrow. Um, for any of the larger diameter arrows, in order to clear my face, uh-huh. uh, because I'm shooting, I shoot cock vein down with that arrow rest that, you know, Scott and uh, Scott makes. Uh, that that top vein kind of gets me in the face a little bit. Right. So I run I run those veins much further forward on the shaft in order to provide myself the clearance. Uh-huh. I also have a different P pipe, which also kind of drags that arrow up into my face. And I just want to make sure that I don't have any uh, clearance issues with it. Do you run your, your peep lower? Yes. Yeah, for indoor. Yeah, I, I do the same. And I also get a vein in the face, right? I like to angle, when I'm shooting three fletch, I'll angle my my top vein uh, to one o'clock because uh, through powder testing, it seemed like a one o'clock on a conventional blade got the best clearance. And what that means is you get kicked in the face by the left vein. (laughs) So so, uh, I also recently started running my veins further forward uh, until I found a distance where it did not make contact with my face. Yeah, and and it seems to be working out really good. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't notice it. I didn't notice it when I ran feathers so much because uh-huh. the feathers would fold over. But with the veins a little bit thicker, I definitely made some uncomfortable contact with my lip or part of my nose, and I was like, I can't have this. Yeah, <laughs> especially if you if you have like, um, well, I guess you're shooting Genox, but with biter knocks, they're kind of like a loose fitting knock, right? Uh, and sometimes that that vein will touch my face, or like before I the way I had them flushed, the vein would touch my face, and I could see my face move the arrow on the string and it's like oh that's no good 
you know, that means I have to consistently do that or I'm going to get some, you know, something's going to be off. So, I mean, I don't know if you get the same effect with Genox. Genox probably fit a little more snug depending on your center serving and stuff. Do you reserve your center serving? No. So uh, my strings are, are made by bright strings uh, uh, with, from Wade and in, in Washington Oh, cool. And uh, he um, he takes all that into consideration when he builds my strings. So oh, that's awesome. I don't, I, don't, I don't have to worry about that. So that's another reason why I try to run the same knock for everything because I have you know a very particular way that my strings get built, and so I I try to not to fill out a paragraph when he's trying to take my string order. So if I change. <laughs> oh, that's funny, dude. <laughs> Go on. I'm sorry, Alex. So you were talking and I just, I just I, it's dude, all right. I laughed because when I first ordered, I ordered um, first string magnums. Right. And they were like, at the time they were damn near 300 bucks for a set. So I was like, I want my yoke cables to be this long. I want this type of serving on that, you know, I want, uh, it's got to fit this and it can't be that. And I want this part to be a little longer. I was so, I was, I'm sure the dude just rolled his eyes and was like, fuck, someone built this guy's strings. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I, I, you know, I, I, I run a, I run two different string materials. I have my bus cables for my PSE made with more strands than what typically is, is made for them. And, you know, various other changes, my center serving is served a little bit higher. I, there's just, there's just. You, wait, wait. Are your so cables forth. different material than your string? Correct. Chance Bobef yeah. used to do that back in the day when he ran a PSE. Yeah, so I run 452x on my cables, and I run BCYx um, on my my on my string. I do believe that is. I I can't say for sure what Bobef ran for his string, but I think he ran 452 for his cables because it's more stable. Correct. Yeah. So a lot of string makers, based on what's been happening in the in the industry, really, if if you if people aren't comfortable with some of these newer string materials, which I just haven't you know experienced uh, them enough, or you know put them on a bow for testing purposes, that uh-huh. 452 is what most string builders, you know, most people out there, not you know, can, putting aside some of these more well-known string makers, that's what they're making all of their their strings out of this uh-huh. 452 for everything um they're extremely stable you do they're a little bit slower which is why i choose to not put that in my string uh-huh. that's why i choose to shoot the bcyx but you know when that spool is gone uh that's it you know they're you know, i'd have to scour ebay or elsewhere and be like you know wade i need you to i'm gonna send you a spool i need you to build my string <laughs> <laughs> what um what color do you pick on your strings alex because uh, do you, so do you, what do you what, tell me what you know about color of strings and uh, how that affects stability? So I run natural on as my string color. My man. I don't run it. I don't run any color. Uh, there's no I that uh, I, each color has a different yes. amount of, of dye in it, and uh-huh. so therefore each string is you know, whether you get purple, pink, green, whatever is going to effectively make each strand a little bit thicker or thinner. Uh-huh. And so the consistency isn't necessarily there. And so I always run natural for both my strings and cables. And so I get a little bit more fancy in my, in my servings, which, you know, don't, don't have as much effect. 
Uh-huh. Do you uh, run a colored serving or do you do a clear serving also? I, I run color. I run color. So do I. I, yeah. I. I run black serving, but I also, the, the strings that I just put on my Matthews are uh, a natural undyed 452X. I just went string and cables because that's what I used to run it back in the day. But, dude, that is, it's so cool that, I, I, so I don't know if you noticed, I'm trying to like, <laughs> let's see, like, ooh, Alex knows a lot. Does he know this? Mm. <laughs> yes, you do know it. You knew it. You passed. <laughs> yeah. Just got to keep digging, Wendell. I'm sure you're going to find something. There's there's about to be some, there's bound to be some hole somewhere. Well, I, I don't think so, dude. I think everything that I've. Uh, like I've been down this road where I've tried to probe every single thing to, you know, to learn about the sport that we love. And I think you've done this as well. <laughs> yeah. I, I definitely, I definitely uh, try to keep an open mind and which is why I stand around when people are talking about drop away rest, simply to garner some knowledge in the event that I might be able to help somebody <laughs> along the way. You know, hey, man, I can't say that. Maybe someday you'll try it, man. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll see if I can uh, muster up a spare, and I'll convince Scott to like uh, machine the corners off of it so that you can say it's, uh, it's special. It's one of, <laughs> one of. But um, yeah, I, I got a I got a stock freak show QD that I run for outdoor and and uh, you know, like I said, I I love that thing. I try to. I try to keep things as simple as possible when necessary, but mm-hmm. I'm also not afraid to go down the path to be a slightly different or be a little bit eccentric. Right. If, it works. I, if, right. if I feel like I'm going to get some sort of performance benefit out of it, especially, you know, I practice quite a bit, uh-huh. but it's still not as much as these people that do it for a living. Right. Right. And, and so I have to try to take every competitive advantage I can. And that, you know, that kind of is a good segue to, to that tournament that I shot for that SoCal where I ended up beating Jimmy Lutz in the second round. What? And, and it was completely equipment maintenance related. I shot a really good match. Would, do I think I would have beat him? Maybe. Did he have a, have an issue with equipment that ended up me, you know, winning that match? Yes, I did. Yes, he did. Oh, dude, that is cool. That's a great story, man. <laughs> um, oh man, I have said I. I have so many things that I want to ask. Okay, so uh, did we talk about for your uh, your feet of bow, right? I, I know we're. Jo- I know I'm like pulling you way back uh, for your feet of bow. Uh, are you running a different type of reticle for that? Did we already talk about that? You're gonna run no, no. I, I, in terms in terms of the in terms of my uh, my lens, uh, you know, power yeah, undetermined. You, you were going to go for a higher power. Not sure exactly which yet. Correct. Yeah. Small black dot. Small black dot. Pretty much the same um, peep size and clarifier. I had LASIK done last year, which uh-huh. kind of was a huge huge thing. Really, uh-huh. that you know, I, I basically spend all this money on clarifier and. Uh, peep kits and end up putting the 0.5 in for everything. So <laughs> I do. I've done the same thing. I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Like I, I've been there. I I've oscillated between the 0.5 and the whatever the maximum one is, and the 0.5 has always seemed to give me just what I need. So, um, 
Let's talk about practice, Alex. Like, I, it's funny you said, like, I don't practice as much as some people. I know, like, there's some people that do it for a living. There's the man, Blake Jerome, who literally practices more than I take showers. And then, you know, there's the rest of us that are trying to... I mean, I can't even put myself in that group, but then there's the rest of us, the competitors, like the competitor class. Uh, how often do you practice, Alex? I try to practice every day. Uh-huh. Um, now, what that mean? That doesn't mean that I'm out flinging 200 arrows or 100 arrows a day. What that means is that sometimes I don't get an opportunity to leave my house, and so I have nine yards that I shoot across my living room out onto the patio, and you know, narrowly miss my barbecue. <laughs> um, and so I'll try to shoot in the morning before work, you know, 20, 30 arrows at lunchtime, 20, 30 arrows and end the day after my work day is over 20, 30 arrows. Uh-huh. And I'll try to do that every day, if not making it out to my practice facility to shoot, you know, whatever it is I'm, I'm prepping for. If it's a field round, I'll shoot field faces. If it's 900 round, I'll be shooting something yellow uh, indoor, you, of course. Do you get down on blank failing as well? Um, I am not a blank bail subscriber okay. because I feel like if you have bad habits, you're only reinforcing them. Now, if you have quality that you're trying to work on repeatability, then I can see where a blank bail would be beneficial. But I always try to at least aim in the vicinity of something. I might not be aiming uh-huh. at the middle. I may not be aiming in the middle, but I'll be drifting around and, you know, the yellow or the red or the black, whatever it is that, you know, I have up on my target face. I don't, I don't just put my pin on some blank surface and allow it to float around, but I have done, you know, what could be considered blank bailing with a little bit of aiming involved. All right. I do believe that's what Braden Gallantine does also. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, and I do know, uh, Austin told me like after he spent so much time blank bailing to take care of his target panic, he had to then relearn how to aim and pair that with his, his shot process. So it makes sense to me. Like what you're telling me makes perfect sense. It's a, it's a lot of work to keep all this stuff separate, right? I'm going to work on execution, but not aim. I'm going to aim, but not worry about execution. I'm going to try to do both of those in a tournament and not think about either one. Right. Right. (laughs) No, I totally get that. And for like, I myself have not done the blank bailing. I, I want to just because, Guys like Austin Watts and Blake Jerome, that's they like they told me that's what they do, and it's like okay, those guys are badasses. There's something to it for sure. I want to try it, but whenever I ha- I have time, I my time is so limited. I'm just gonna try to hammer out. You know, I'm gonna try to do what you said. Like, let's get it all in here. You know, uh, I don't have time right now to separate it, perfect it, and then put it back together. I just want to, you know, get it all going. Let's, let's work it out on the fly. Let's do it live, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And then the weekends, you know, I'm trying to practice anywhere between four and six hours, both Saturday and Sunday. That's awesome, dude. That is, that is simply awesome. I, I really think, like, I, I, I really think we're going to see. Are, are you going to shoot Outlaws next year? Yes. Uh, yeah. I, I'm expecting to see your name up there, dude, like uh, a lot. Are you partnering with Scott again? I I would assume so. We haven't really had that discussion uh, as of yet. Um, I, I'm sure that I'm sure that will be coming around here soon. Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna call Scott try- and be like, "Dude, be my outlaw partner. Be my outlaw partner before uh, Alex calls you." <laughs> yeah. 
gonna try to scalp him. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm just kidding. I won't. I got my I got my partner set for a while. <laughs> I, I'm here. We go. Here we go. Right, all the listeners getting to the getting getting to the getting to this point in the podcast. I have yet to uh, fully lock down Scott as my outlaw partner. So if you're trying to if you're trying to grab him, you might want to give him a call tomorrow. The guy does great shit with Barons too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, dude, I am like notoriously shitty with partners. Like I, the partner I have now, I'm being very good to because he deserves it. But I, I am very flippant with with partners, and so <laughs> I'm always just joking about it now. Yeah, um, I haven't I haven't really shot outlaw that much, and so basically, in order to really become in, engulfed in the environment, I have partnered with Scott now. Well, it would have been three years, except for the course the covid situation kind of delayed right. that but we've shot the btb together multiple times now right. and i remember we saw it at the btb <laughs> um what is your handicap right now alex one you're a one handicap so you're shit you're up there already <laughs> do you yeah, have uh, I, I shot i shot really good at reading which is what i know getting me there do you know you and me shot very similar scores Yes, I believe you edged me. I think you, I think you edged me out by one on that one, though. Pretty sure, <laughs> just a little. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I was I was looking over the scores the other day because I was curious. I was like, man, what did Alex shoot? Yeah, he shot very good, actually. <laughs> yeah, I had a I had a really poor I had a really poor third day. Um, I shot very well for the stretch I was on the first day. The uh-huh. second day, I think I only shot two down. Uh, through the flat stretch and on the third day i got up into those canyons and those there was just an enormous amount of wind and oh, it was just it was just like right in the middle and then just out <laughs> oh, oh man <laughs> oh well dude uh i guess uh are you gonna my my last question for you is gonna be are you shooting the coyote 600 it is an event that's going to be up here, so it's quite a drive for you. But it is. When, uh, when is the time frame for that it tournament? It is October thirtieth, and it is uh, it is an indoor style event that is uh, going to be shot outdoors, I believe. Well, up to up until you know, pretty much this year, in which I'm trying to lock down a better place to practice indoor, in dot inside with some good lighting. I have historically shot most of my outdoor practice or indoor practice outdoors, so <laughs> I'd, I'd fit I'd fit really well uh, in, within that environment. Um, but I basically have been coordinating with uh, Blake and what they're putting together up in Washington in terms of the events that either Triple X is hosting or are listed on. Uh, on his spreadsheet that he put together for everybody. So I'll be shooting some, some of those events. And so the October 30th actually fits in pretty well with my schedule. I haven't registered or made any commitments to that tournament as of yet, but it seems very interesting. And I know that there's been, so I've had some discussions with Rudy about uh, trying to get together a Southern California location to kind of round out some of the indoor tournaments that you guys yes. are shooting in central and Northern California. Yes. So I'm that, currently working on that, and I think I'm pretty close, actually, to trying to get getting a location that's going to be willing to hopefully get some of you guys to drive that uh, 
drive the drive the distance to come hello and <laughs> come say hello to me instead of uh, me having to say hello to you all the I time. know, dude. <laughs> you, do a lot, you do a lot of road time, pal. Uh, but, yeah, I love that, man. Well, Alex, uh, dude, I got to go put my baby back to sleep. Uh, thank you so much for being a guest. That was a lot of fun. Uh, thanks for giving us all this great info, man. Thank you, Wendell. I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to come on and uh, talk to your talk to your listeners. Yeah, hey, dude. Uh, let's do it again soon, all right? No problem. Will do. All right. Thank you very much, Alex. You have a good night. All right. You too. Bye. <laughs>